Thanks, y'all. Uh, can have a seat. Um, thank you for being here. Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. I'm glad that you're here, whether um, in person or online. Hey, um, uh, thanks for being here. Happy New Year. Okay, kind of waved its way back. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, uh, I hope your new year is off to a great start. Um, uh, curiosity, how many of you actually stayed up to midnight? Wow. If you consider 9.30 midnight, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't even try right? Didn't even try. But I am glad that you're here. And today we're going to jump back into uh, our study of Mark. We've been, we've been going through Mark for quite a while. We'll finish up uh, right at Easter. And, and as we've been going through Mark, Mark, uh, the, the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark, Jesus according to Mark, uh, did it in three basically different uh, sections. The, the first section uh, of Mark is who is Jesus, right? And you see Jesus uh, healing lots of people and you see this, these miracles and, and Mark is introducing you to who Jesus is. And then he moves into this section of, of, of what if Jesus really is the Messiah. And you begin to see Jesus shift his teaching more to the disciples instead of the crowds and, and he starts explaining things to them uh, that he didn't necessarily do Mark uh, in, in Mark's telling of it in that, in that first part. But now we're in the third part, which is what did Jesus do? And what you're going to see between now and Easter, and, and Matt started it a little bit uh, right before Advent series, what you're going to see is you're going to see time really slow down in this last bit of the Gospel of Mark. Because, because what's going to happen is we're going to see what Jesus does day by day uh, in the last week of his life leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. We've seen the triumphal entry, which, which was on uh, a, a Sunday. Um, and, and then we're moving now to where we're on Tuesday. But go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. All right? And as you're turning there, here's what I would love to see happen as we go through these, through these verses today. What I hope happens is that we leave here today with a very clear question in mind. A very clear question for you to think about, for you to ponder, even a clear question uh, for you to bring to the communion table with you, a clear question for you to think through your goals and, and resolutions for the new year, for the upcoming months, for the, for the future, I hope. Let me, how many of you have New Year's resolutions or goals or a word for the new year? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you used to, but you've given up on them? Yep, yep, yep. I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there's something about this time of year where I naturally kind of start reflecting on the year ahead and looking, I mean, the year behind and looking to the year ahead and kind of wondering what, you know, is an area that I want to prove? Is there something that I want to do? And so, so I don't call it a resolution or a goal. That way, if I fail, it's okay, right? Like, like, because that always happens. But, but, but there is something that I've noticed. I used to be an elementary school teacher and my handwriting was pretty good. It wasn't like perfect because when I was teaching handwriting, when they used to do that in schools, that's when I was teaching. And I had had that cursive alphabet above the chalkboard, you know, and I told my students, oh, I'm like, I paid good money for that. That's what it's supposed to look like, right? So I, I taught them to do that. Mine was fairly close, but not great. But as I've been removed from teaching for decades now, for over two decades, what's happened is my handwriting has gotten really sloppy. 
right? And I just whip through stuff, handwriting. And so one of the things I do want to work on this year is, is slowing down and working on my penmanship, working on my handwriting. It really, for me, it's because I want to slow down when I do it. I don't want to just rush through stuff. If I'm writing a thank you note or something, I want to slow down and, and working on my penmanship does that. And y'all, I even bought a book, like I'm that serious about it, right? Which to me feels like I've already accomplished it, right? I mean, I bought the book, right? But let me ask you this. What do you hope is different in 2023 from 2022, All right? Now, I googled top resolutions for 2022 just to see uh, what came up. And here's, here's the percentages of what came up. 48% of the people that filled out the survey, whatever survey it was, 48% of the people wanted to exercise more. 44% wanted to eat healthier. 41% wanted to lose weight, which I would think would happen maybe if you were doing the first two. But 34% said they wanted to spend more time with family and friends. And then everything kind of trickled down after that. Now, these might sound familiar to you. You know, if you've been thinking about what you want different in 2023, it might have been one of those things. Be healthier, eat better, move more, spend more time with, with family and friends, right? But here's something that as we do think about the year ahead, our resolutions, our goals, what we want to see different, here's what it tells us. That, that those things, what we want shows us what we think we need, right? What we want shows us what we think we need. That's not like mind-blowing, right? If you want it, you want it because you think you need it, right? The things that, that I want more of or less of in 2023, I want that because I think it's important. But here's the question. What if what we think is important isn't what Jesus thinks is important? Right? What if there's a difference between those two things? What if, and this is how Jesus works, what if what he thinks is important, what if what he thinks we need is, is better than what we need? Because I guarantee you, if Jesus disagrees with us, go with Jesus. Because what he wants is better, right? And today we're going to see some men, we're going to see in particular some religious leaders come to Jesus. And they're going to come to Jesus knowing full well what they want from him, right? They're going to come with a very specific question. And Jesus is going to do what Jesus does, and he is going to get to their heart through their words and through, question, through a particular question. And they're going to have this opportunity, y'all. They're going to have an opportunity to see Jesus for who he is, to believe that, have faith in that, and follow him, or to leave empty-handed. I don't want to give you any spoilers, but let's, let's, let's see how this plays out. Because I will tell you, he doesn't give them what they want. Because what they want from him isn't what's best for them. And Jesus knows what they need. Well, let's look at verse 27. Chapter 11, verse 27 says this. And they came again to Jerusalem. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop there because, like I said, in, the, in this process of going through this section, we see that as we're watching Jesus go through the last week, this is the week before his crucifixion. And so where we are in this week is, is on Tuesday. Sunday was, was the triumphal entry. Mark has already shown us a little bit about what happened on Monday. And now he's, he's moving into uh, Tuesday. And let me tell you what Jesus is going to do today. I will give you a spoiler on this as we, as we go through this next, these next few, few verses. Here's what we're going to to see Jesus do. He's going to go in the temple and he's going to teach. And I mean, when he teaches, he is going to teach some scathing, 
pointed, very direct truth at the religious leaders. He is going to call them hypocrites, and he is going to call them blind guides, right? Like, like if, if, if they had the internet now, it would be such clickbait what he's going to say, right? Because he is going to call them some things that are very true, but he is going to be very direct to these religious leaders. And if we were there and saw that, it would be scandalous what Jesus is going to teach, Right? As a matter of fact, it's so bad. What we're going to see these religious leaders do is they're going to make a, a pact. They're going to make an oath with each other to kill him. And they're going to find spies to infiltrate Jesus' crowd to find out his plans so that they can find him when he is all alone and they can capture him and kill him. All that comes to a head today, Tuesday. We'll, we'll cover it for a few weeks. But watch what happens as he's on his way in, right? The rest of verse 27, it says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, right? So what we're about to see unfold is Jesus' day has just started. Right? He's just walked to Jerusalem with his, with, his, with his followers. He hasn't even gotten into the temple yet to teach all those things that I just said he was going to teach as the day unfolded. He is on his way. His day has just started. Now, I, I, I don't want to, you know, you don't have to raise your hands to this, but does anybody know this feeling of your day's just started and your day's already out of control? Right? Maybe your New Year's resolution, what time is it? It is, it is 1028, right? Maybe, just maybe, your New Year's resolution has already been thrown to the wayside, right? Because today has already been out of control. My day has. I wanted to get here like at 715, get communion set up, relax, pray for today, because that's what good pastors do, right? Sit, sit in their office and pray. Well, communion got set up, praise the Lord. I got here at 815, instead of 7.15, and I haven't prayed, I haven't sat down and read my Bible, I haven't done any of that, and here we are in the first day of the year, right? Anybody relate to that? Your day gets crazy before it ever even starts. Well, Jesus knows exactly where you are, because his day hasn't even started yet, and look at what's about to happen, right? Verse 28, Verse 28 says this, And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? Right? And let me tell you about this, these folks that come up to Jesus, these religious leaders. It's comprised of three different types of people. You've got, you've got uh, chief priest. You've got, uh, what does it say? It says you've got, you've got chief priest, you've got scribes, and you've got elders that come up to him. Now, let me tell you about these three groups of people. Because the chief priest, the reason they're chief priests is because they used to be high priests. And, and you were a high priest on a rotation where you got to enter the most holy place in the temple. And you got to minister before the Lord and then come out and minister before the people. It was really the celebrity status. And not only the celebrity status, you got to enter into a deep presence of God that nobody else in the nation of Israel got to do except for the previous high chiefs in front of the high priest in front of you. Chief priests are people who were that, but now they're not. They're permanently at the temple serving the Lord but they're not in charge anymore, right? These are people who used to be in charge, 
but aren't in charge anymore. If you've worked with any of those people, you can know how awful they can be at times, right? Some are great. I hope I'm that way one day. I hope I'm, I'm on the more fun and good and merciful side than, than on the critical side. But what we're going to see here is that these guys were on the more critical side. And you had, so think of them as like the retired pastor who sticks around for all the wrong reasons, right? Then you have the scribes. Now these, the scribes were people who were learned and studied and they knew the, the Bible inside and out. Like if there was a library in the temple, these would be the guys that were there in the library. And if you had a question, you would go to them. They would give you three, uh, they'd give you their answer based on three sources, tell you the sources and then recommend a very helpful book for you to take home with you to read on your own, right? In a bad way, think of them as the know-it-alls. Right? That's, that's who the scribes are. And then the elders, the elders were people who were very successful and very wealthy outside of the temple. And they were asked to help lead and, and guide the church because of that wealth and power that they have outside of the temple. And so a lot of times these elders brought in that, that, that power and control that they were used to outside the temple and brought it into the temple, into the, into the faith, into the, the Jewish religion. And so all three of those, we'll consider them like the power players, right? So you got the retired pastors that stick around for all the wrong reasons, the know-it-alls, and then you've got uh, the power players, right? And here's the deal. This doesn't just exist in the temple then. In some churches, praise the Lord, not here. So I'm not talking about anybody. But in some churches, these people still exist, the person who used to do ministry that sticks around and tells you how they did it all the time, right? The, the know-it-all, the person who, who sits in the, in the pew, or in this case, chairs, but they're not here, so pew, let's just say pew, right? The person who sits out in the congregation and listens to a sermon, and all they can think about is how they would do it better. That's a know-it-all. And then the, the power players are here. Y'all, in some churches, I've seen this. We even talked about it in seminary before I got into ministry. That in some churches, you walk in, and it is not the pastor, it is not the elders, it is not the deacon that is in charge. It is one or two families that have all the power and influence in the church. And y'all, it gets so bad in some churches if, if, if you talk to those pastors, which I have, and the hurt that these power players cause is, is, is unmeasurable. And at times you look at it and you go, I'm not even sure they're true believers. Right? These people are still in churches today. That's why God's word is so vital and so important is because as a congregation, right, we want to create a culture and an environment where these types of people can't thrive here. They just can't, right? And now imagine if one of those groups came to Jesus before his day even started. But can you imagine all three of them teaming up to come together before Jesus' day even starts, right? And the question they ask him is, by what authority are you doing these things? In other words, Jesus, tell us what, what power you're, you are using, Right? In other words, they're, they're kind of saying, Jesus, tell us where, you, where did you learn how to do these things? Who taught you, right? Where did you learn? 
What credentials do you have? What is, what is your calling? Should you even be here? In today's terms, it's when somebody walks up to somebody in ministry and says, hey, where'd you go to seminary? Just curious. Because when you tell them what they want to do is if they've heard of the seminary, they, wanna, they want to size size it up, right? They want to be like, is it conservative? Is it liberal? Do I agree with the seminary? Do I not agree with the seminary? That's what they're asking Jesus, right? They're sizing him up. Does he meet their standards? Because if you imagine you, you have a, you know, the retired pastor who sticks around for the wrong reasons. You got the power players. You got the know-it-alls. Their standards are pretty high, and they want to know, Jesus, do you meet our standards? And then they said, who gave you this authority? Who sent you? What, what is your source of authority? Right? Because, Jesus, if, if we can't size you up, if you don't meet our standards, then maybe those who sent you meet our standards. And we can just call you the bad apple from the bunch. Right? But where the people that sent you, we agree with, and, and that's good. See, they think... They think they need Jesus to meet their standards for Jesus to be able to do what he's doing. And look at Jesus' response in verse 29. He says this, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Right? Now, here's the deal. Jesus could just tell them, God, God gave me the authority, God sent me, you deal with it, right? But he doesn't. He's, 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 he's amazing in how he interacts with people because he goes, let me, let me ask you a question. Because here's the deal, questions reveal motive, don't they? You could just answer a question and move on. I mean, you could just answer a question and move on, but Jesus asks a question, not because he wants to know their motive. He wants them to see their motive behind asking this question. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, and a man of understanding draws them out. And y'all, questions are the way that those, that those purposes of deep hearts are drawn out. And Jesus wants them to see the reason behind their need. Because once they see this, they can figure out what to do about it. Well, let's look at what Jesus' question is. He says this in verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Yeah, when Jesus says answer me, do y'all feel that? Right? Do y'all feel that? It's, it, it's, like, it's like, a, it, like, it got serious real quick, didn't it? Jesus says the baptism of John, John's ministry, was it, was it, was it from heaven or was it from man? Man, tell me, tell me what, what you think. And y'all, these questions can be revealing. That's why Jesus is asking them. He wants to show the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. He wants them to expose what they're thinking and what they're believing. Now, to Jesus, this, now to us, this question might seem completely out of left field, but to them, it made perfect sense, right? And Jesus was honing in on something. Look at verse thirty-one. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. You see, they realized that if they say from heaven, they're giving Jesus a pass to keep doing what he's doing. Right? Because, because they know Jesus' response is going to be, well, if John's ministry is authorized by God, guess who else's is? mine, right? 
And they knew that if they did that, they would lose. They would lose their power of position, right? They would, they, would, they would acknowledge that Jesus is right, that he is now the church leader to follow, not them. And if John was authorized from heaven, so is Jesus. Jesus becomes this, this, this wise leader instead of a know-it-all. He becomes the humble servant instead of the power player, right? He becomes the serving leader instead of holding on to power for his own benefit. He does it for the benefit of others, and they lose, and that's a problem. Because here's the deal. These men, these religious leaders, they like the power and control that they have. And you can tell because of the next part, because because it says if they say for men, then they'll lose the people, right? They'll keep their power but the people will revolt against them because they believe that John the Baptist was sent from heaven. And if we lose control, we lose power, and Jesus wins. See, what they wanted was to be able to hold on to their power and hold on to their control. You see, what Jesus has done here is he has led them to the why behind the question. Why do they want to know what Jesus' authority is working under? It's because... He, they they want to show, right, that his authority is under theirs. They want to show that they have more power and more control than Jesus does. And they want to keep their power and control. And y'all, I, I got to tell you, there was, there was a summer where I was a missionary in Latvia, right? And it was, it was shortly after uh, it became an independent country. Uh, Russia had left. It was a Soviet country. And, and when I got there, it was, it was amazing because what they had done is they had taken these European buildings and had paint, the Russia had painted them all gray. They wanted to completely remove all creativity, all sense of identity for this Latvian nation. And so when Russia left, oh, it's interesting. Wrist just talked to me. <laughs> so it's fun. I'm still figuring. I just got it for Christmas. I'm so excited. I just I almost didn't wear it today, but I thought, no, I'm going to. I probably won't wear it again on Sunday. But um, uh, now I got to fly up here. Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year. Um, where was I? Latvia, yes, thank you, thank you. So Latvia, yeah, so I go there, and, and it's just as they're beginning to repaint buildings, and, and, and we are doing student ministry, and we go to this high-rise uh, flat, you know, the high-rise apartment building with flats. And so some of the kids want to play basketball. So great, so we have a basketball, so we bring it, and they have this basketball court, and they've got this huge, like, Chicago Bulls emblem painted on it, like, like they are all into it. And I look, and on top of the basketball goal is a piece of plywood with a lock on it. And I asked the students, I was like, um, how, do we, how do we play if that's there? Why is that there? And they go, well, there's one person in the apartment who, when Russia was here, used to manage the apartments. But now, because it's Latvian, they now have somebody else who manages it. And so all he's left with is the basketball court. So he put a lock on the hoop so that we have to find him to be able to unlock it so that we can play. Power and control. Right? This guy, who we never found, by the way, so we played basketball and we decided if it hits the, the plywood, then we'll, we're going to count it. Right? This guy's whole identity had been reduced to a lock on a piece of plywood because his identity was in the power and control that he used to have. 
And, 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 I, and I share that, y'all, because, because his reason for living was reduced to this silly little thing. And here's the deal. We do the same thing when we hold on to power and control. Our identity becomes anchored in these silly, small little things compared to the goodness and mercy that Jesus offers us. And I wonder if our resolutions reflect this, right? The desire to to hold on to power and control, right? Maybe more time with family is because you do want to spend more time with family so that you can find out what your kids are doing and control them better, right? Because obedient kids make a parent look really good. Right? Maybe, maybe that goal of losing weight isn't about being healthy, although that's what we tell ourselves. Maybe it's about fitting into those clothes again that you can't fit into anymore, right? which isn't even about budget. It's because you think you look really good in those clothes. Maybe you get compliments when you wear those clothes, and that all feels really, really good, but those resolutions wear off because maybe, maybe, and y'all, this is good news. Maybe Jesus isn't as concerned about your waist size as he is your heart. Right? Now, that is good news. Amen? Mm. That is real good news. I don't know what y'all, but y'all, but there's still all kinds of food in our refrigerator left over from Christmas. That's really good news, right? Right? Maybe, maybe exercise and wanting more exercise isn't about getting healthy either. Maybe it's about running from something instead of running to something, right? See, maybe our resolutions are about keeping some sort of power and control. Well, let's look, let's look at how that works for these guys. Verse 33 says this. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. That's what they said, right? They waited out from heaven for men. We're just going to say we don't know and see what he says. Now, here's the deal. This is what power and control does. If you were a priest and you were serving in the temple, elder, scribe, uh, high priest, um, chief priest, whatever your role was, the book of Leviticus says that your job is to determine the difference between what is holy and unholy, right? Between what is holy and common, and your job is to lead people to what is holy. That's their job. They have got the embodiment of holiness standing right in front of them, and they don't want to follow it. They don't want to follow it. See, in their, in their love of power and control, in their love of keeping things just the way they are and not letting Jesus in to change and to move, they've actually stopped doing their job. They lost sight of their job. In trying to, to keep power and control, they have stopped doing their job. You see, maybe we keep failing at our resolutions and goals and what we want for the new year because those things don't align with what Jesus wants for us. Maybe it just aligns more with our own desire for power and control. Maybe it's not because of a lack of willpower or discipline. Maybe it's because Jesus has something better for you. Because look at Jesus' response. He says, And they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Ooh! Right? You know they had to be like, Oh, come on! Just tell us! Right? But they leave empty. Y'all, here's what's crazy. They had a chance to leave full. They had a chance to say, Jesus, here's the deal. We don't get it. We don't get you. But we can tell what you do is from heaven. 
and we're on board. But instead, they said, I, I, I don't know. And Jesus' heart for them, and we're going to see this next week, Jesus' heart for them was to get on board and to follow. Right? But instead, they kept their power and control and left Jesus empty. So can I tell you a real simple question to think through your goals and resolutions, to think through the things that come across your plate in 2023? And it's actually uh, from a book uh, written by a guy named Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. It's very short. It's wonderfully deep and simple all at the same time. And if you haven't read it, uh, I would suggest that to you. If you have a goal of reading books for 2023, it's awesome because it really is about that thick, right? Like you can check that one off the list. But what you're going to find is you're going to slow down reading it. So I'll tell you that. But here's what he says. He says, the most important part of a life with God resides in renouncing once for all whatever does not lead to God. Very simple. The most important part of a life with God resides in renouncing once for all that which doesn't lead to God. And so the question, the very simple question for you as you think about your goals for 2023, as you think about your resolutions, your ambitions for 2023 is this. Does it lead you to Jesus or away from him? It's very simple. Maybe exercising more does lead you to Jesus, right? Because it is, it is time for you to listen to worship and listen to podcasts and, and, and feed not just your body but your soul. Maybe getting healthier does lead you to Jesus, right? Maybe spending time with family and friends, more time with family and friends, does lead you to Jesus. Great. Do those things, right? Does it create space for you to experience the goodness and mercy and kindness of Jesus. If not, that doesn't mean that they're bad, right? It just simply means that you can choose to do them as an opportunity and an invitation to do them with Jesus instead of without, right? And so as we go into 2023 and we examine and we look ahead, it's an invitation to be with Jesus. And today we take communion which I thought was, uh, you know, we always do it on the first Sunday of the month, and I love that the first Sunday of the month is New Year's Day, right? That as a church, we get to take communion together today, right? And this is an activity for those who have said yes to Jesus, yes to a life of following Jesus, yes to enjoying the presence and the guidance and the goodness of God as we go through life that Jesus offers. And so let me tell you, if you're not a Jesus follower, don't feel like you need to come up to this table, Right? However, why not today? Why not start a new year saying yes to Jesus? Yes to inviting Him to, to live your life with Him, inviting Him into those deep, dark recesses of your heart and soul so He can bring His light to those places. Right? And if you feel like today is the day that you want to start a new life with Jesus, I tell you, January 1st is a great day, and right now is a great time. And so when we bow to bow our heads, you can just tell Jesus you're on board. You can just tell Jesus that his ministry, like these, like these religious leaders didn't see, that his ministry and who he is was from heaven, not created by man. 
right? Telling that you are willing and wanting to follow him every day of your life. And yes, you won't and you will, you will mess up and you will do things that lead you away, but that's the goodness of our God is Jesus is always there. Always there. And so, when, if you do that, when you do that, just know that when you come up to this table, you come up as a brand new brother or sister in Christ, in this family of God. And if you've already said yes to Jesus, then as you come to the table to receive the elements for communion, let today be the day that you begin, maybe vocalize, renouncing anything that leads you away from Jesus instead of to Jesus. And as we take these elements together, which we'll do once everybody's back in their seats and chairs and all that stuff, what I hope for us is that we can move together, move forward together as a congregation, doing more of what leads us to Jesus and less of what leads us away from him. Doing more of acknowledging the fact that Jesus and who he is and what he's done is from heaven, not men. And so what we'll do, I'll pray for us. Um, are you going to, yeah, come up and do a little background noise. We'll have a couple of elders come up. They will serve you communion. They'll serve you the elements. And then when you're ready, uh, you can come down and receive them from them and then go back to your seat, and then we'll all take them together. All right? So let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, as we come into this time, if, if, if there are those listening or those who are here that haven't said yes to following you, may, may now be the moment that they do that that they bow their heads and they bow their lives uh, to their Savior. And may they acknowledge this moment as the moment that they realize they are not leading their life, but you are and you have been, and you've been leading them to this moment. This moment to worship you and this moment to see you as the Savior that they need. And for those of us who have said yes, may you speak to us about what we need to renounce that doesn't lead us to God, what we need to change so that, so that those things and those elements in our lives can be used as an opportunity to connect and to be with you and to enjoy your presence. And thank you for what this communion offers us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now whenever you're ready, take some time and pray. Whenever you're ready, come on down and receive the elements and then we'll take them together. You know, in the, in the early church, when they gathered together for communion, it was a meal. And they sat around a table, and they looked at each other, and they knew each other, and they knew each other's stories. They knew their mama and their daddy, like they knew each other. And what's fun, and, and it's just kind of hit me seeing y'all come down, is that a church this size, we get to know each other. As y'all come down, I get to, to pray for you and think about the stories and think about what I know is going on in your life. And some of you I don't know as well as others, but we get to be a family together. And y'all, Jesus does that. He takes people who during the week never see each other because we work in different parts of town, live in different parts of town, and we get to come here together and be united in the good news of Jesus Christ. And for that, I'm thankful. And for that, we take communion because Jesus did that. 
right? And so for his body that was broken for us. And his blood that was shed for us. Jesus, thank you for drawing us together, for drawing us to you first, and then drawing us together second. And may we leave this place today as a congregation more willing to live life with you than without you. In small ways and in big ways, may you lead us every single step of the way. In Christ's name I pray, amen.